Okay, so welcome to Parsha in my life, Parsha's Emor. Um, we're doing this a day early. I'm out of town tomorrow, so we'll do it on Sunday. What do you think? I don't know why I have this mashigas that it has to feel straight. I'm sorry for that, guys. That was just me reacting to this stubbornness of this thing not wanting to be straight okay now it looks straight to me okay better okay we shall really continue a discussion we started last week about um the the um level of holiness that the days of mashiach are going to take us into a time when we will reach true holiness. We were connecting that to the idea that it says within when Hashem commands us last week in the Torah portion, be holy because I am holy. He says, because I am holy, which means that there is an equivalence between God's holiness and our holiness. The sages also tell us that when Mashiach will come in the days of the future, the angels will say to Israel, to the Jewish people, to the tzaddikim, it says, to the righteous, holy, 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 is astounding. They will say to the tzaddikim, holy, 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 just like they say to God. Now, it's not that there's two things that are holy. There's only one holiness. Hashem is holy. The state of oneness in which we are all going to live it, state of our consciousness, our state of being, is going to be on such a deep level of oneness with God that the holiness of God is going to be the holiness of, of Israel. And that's the meaning of But this week is the week of Parshas Emor. Now Parshas Emor is really, if you think about it, a step up from last week's Parsha of Holy. In a sense, you can look at all the Parshas of Ayikra as we are going higher and higher and higher and higher. It's a ladder. And really the Torah is a ladder. Because, you know, we start off with creation, but there's no Torah in the world yet. We're dealing with the, our patriarchs and our forefathers who are laying the foundation. But as we learn in Hasidus, their connection to God is not as deep as ours because it's initiated by, by us. It's not initiated by God. And therefore, its relationship is limited. The true connection and the true infinity and boundlessness of the bond between Hashem and the Jewish people begins at the giving of the Torah. But that had to be preceded by the purification and the and the um, preparation in Egypt. And that caused a refinement, a refinement in the Jewish souls, the Jewish bodies, and via them, a refinement in all of creation. And then all the godly revelation that took place by the Exodus, leading up to this incredible moment of the giving of the Torah, the revelation at Sinai, which that empowered us with enormous power to build upon that 
make a dwelling place for God, build him a tabernacle, a mishkan. And then, obviously, once we have all of that set and we start living together with Hashem, we accelerate in holiness. So in the book of Ayikra, the book of Leviticus, it begins with the sacrifices. So you have about the sacrifices, which is basically teaching us how to lift up all elements of the creation, because in the sacrifices we are elevating the inanimate, the human being stands at the center of creation, and he, and he elevates the inanimate, the plant, the animal. And it's all elevated into a connection with Hashem through the temple worship, through the mitzvahs in the Beis Amigdash. Then the Torah goes on to talk about um, that those parts of the world that kind of can be integrated into the human and via the human into God. So it goes into the description of kosher and non-kosher. Uh, certain elements in this world that for whatever reason can't have a direct um, consumption into the, into, the, into the divine. So there's a distinction what is kosher and what is non-kosher. That's in the, in, the, in, the, in the Torah portion of the third Torah portion of um, Leviticus and Shemini. Then we begin, and then the Torah goes in in the next Torah portion, Tazria and Mitzorah, the two Torah portions that follow, that discuss the state of purity of the human condition. That in a human, human being can be in a state of impurity, the various different impurities, forms of leprosy and other types of impurity. And uh, so it has to define what is the pure state. Once you're in a relationship with God, uh, purity is very important. So the Torah says, it differentiates when we are pure, when we're not pure. But purity means, in a sense, spiritually clean. That's what purity means, spiritually clean. But then there is deeper than just being clean. Clean means you're in a state where you're ready to bond. You're ready to connect. But then there is something deeper than clean and purity. There is the actual connection, the connection with it, which establishes holiness. So holiness happens as a result of a bonding with the divine. So purity is a state of readiness of the vessel. The container, the person, body, the human being, or we spoke earlier, the kosher, the non-kosher is indicating which elements are in a state of readiness that they could be assimilated into holiness, into godliness. But it's not yet holy. Just because something is kosher and it's pure, it's still not godly. It's still mundane. Once something becomes holy, holiness is related to godliness. It means it is godly. So in Pasha's Kedoshim, we're stepping a step up. It's already discussing the idea of connection to God, which is achieving holiness, which we didn't have the portions before that, which was all talking about purity, which means the introduction to becoming holy. So we were at last week's Torah portion, Torah portion of um, what's it called again? Kedoshim is a step up because it's already a state of unification between the human and God. And this week we're going even higher because as holy as, as 
the ordinary Jew can be, there are certain people that achieve and inherently connect to a much higher level of holiness because they're meant to serve in a certain position and be channels of God on a higher level. And that is the priestly family. And those are the descendants of Aaron Akoin, Aaron the high priest. Fortunately, I am one of Baruch Hashem, merited that. To be a Kohen, it's a very, very precious thing. It's obviously going to become infinitely more precious once Mashiach is here, in which we actually go ahead and officiate in the Holy Temple and act as primary divine channels to the world. It's really, really an enormous honor. Now, the Kohanim, but it also comes with a set of higher, higher uh, expectance, higher behavior. Because if you're in a, the, the higher you are, you're in a far more sensitive place. And even the tiniest minute you know, infractions, the tiniest minute blemishes are big deals. So the Torah goes on to say what is certain things which are permitted for an ordinary state of connection to God, it is permitted for a person. Uh, if a person can live, have certain things in their life, which is not a disqualifier for a Jew for a Jew's holiness, but it is a disqualifier for a priest's holiness, which means that the priest's level of holiness requires a greater sensitivity and a greater refinement and a greater perfection. So the Torah, for instance, this week in the Torah portion, describes how priests are not allowed to have any defects in their body. There has to be physically perfect. I mean, to work in the temple, they could be a priest, but they're not officially allowed to work in the holy temple because the level of perfection that is called for um, uh, for a priest is on a very, very, and by a regular Jew and in his, his, his performance of mitzvahs, we don't have any say, you know, you have a blemish and you can't do the mitzvah. You can't listen to the shofar or you can't uh, learn Torah or you can't, uh, you know, shake your lulav. There's no such a thing. But for the Kohen, they sent the Kohen home if he was, even if it's not his fault to do with it. Not always a question of one's morality or one's thing. It has to do with a, a higher requirement of a perfection. And obviously most of it is requirements morally and ethically and spiritual refinements, very, 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 very elevated state of consciousness that it is required from a Kohen. But it even expresses itself all the way down to the most external element of their existence, their physical body. And that is because if the regular Jew is holy, the Kohen is holy of holies. And even amongst the Kohen, we learn that there is even a higher level. And that is the high priest, who is the Kohen Gadol, whose level of holiness even exceeds. And we were learning Thursday night how holy he is and how incredible lofty his garments are even, which levels of the divine his, his garments are emanating from. It was like spectacular we were learning on Thursday night. So we understand and appreciate this, this system of climbing the ladder of deeper attachments and higher attachments and even higher attachments. Um, Mashiach Tzedkein, who we learned last week, even though he is not a Kohen, he cannot be of the family of the priests because he has to be a descendant of Yehuda, not a descendant of Le Levi. A Kohen is from the family of the Levites but the um, Mashiach is from the family of Yehuda. Yet, as we learned last week by Mashiach, it says that in his neshama is revealed the level of Atik Yomen, 
Atik Yomen means ancient of days, that which is removed from all levels. God in his pristine self. We discussed last week that Hashem projects himself, reveals himself through many, many different spherot and attributes. These attributes are all personality traits. They're all characteristics that he chooses willfully. He's not, not compelled into any of these, but he chooses willfully to, so to speak, form himself into these personality traits so that he can bond and have a relationship with the world. But these are not him. These are just projections of him. He unifies with them, yes, but they're still like a garment, like a entity that, and as we discussed on Thursday night, these are all levels that once were not, and then God brought them into existence. They're not of the absoluteness of the divine. And that's why we can't say on all these levels that they are ancient. On all these levels, we say that they are new because they came about when Hashem decided to emanate in that, in that manner. It's somehow within the creative process. Obviously, a very, very early state in the creative process, but yet it's part of the creative. It's as if Hashem is adjusting himself to create. And that process of that adjustment within himself, that's where he brings about all these various different levels. So that can be considered as ancient. When we say ancient of days means pre-mortal, absolute, the level of Hashem as Hashem stands and always was. No other, every human being or every creature or every phenomenon relates to God after God and interacts with God from a certain adjusted state where Hashem adjusts himself already to be in a relationship with someone and something outside of him. No one gets to experience God as God is without any adjustments. So every creature and every being is only in a relationship with God after the adjustments. And obviously the physical world is in a relationship with the divine after most adjustments, after an endless series of contractions, concealments, projections, diminishments, filters, and, and, and so on and so forth. The more spiritual the worlds are, the less filterations there is, but there is always some level of filtration and always some level of adjustment and diminishment. And uh, Hashem is lowering himself down to, to be not himself, so to speak. Besides Mashiach Tzedkenu, Mashiach Tzedkenu encounters God as God is. And the reason for that is because Mashiach introduces and, and he is the final and the and the end, the completion of all of creation where God wants to have a home in this world. And we, as we discussed so many times, a home means a place where you are comfortable and you're not adjusting. To adjust, you can go to a hotel, you can go to a party, you can go to a dinner, you can go socialize. When you go socialize, you're leaving your house you're conditioning yourself already to put up an act. Some kind of an act you're going to put up. You're not totally yourself. You come home, you crash. What do you crash? Oh, no one is home. You're alone. You're totally comfortable to be who you are uh, because, you know, you're not here to impress or to relate to anybody. God wants to have a home in this world, meaning God wants a place 
where he removes all adjustments and he can just be himself. And that is phenomenal. That is unbelievable. How many times we learn that it is just beyond, beyond, beyond spectacular. Because to believe that the physical world, which is the most, the most distant, the most removed, the most ungodly, and the most un, un, unworthy, so to speak, for such, for, such, for such intimacy, for such revelation, yet that was God's desire in, in creation. And since Mashiach is the time when God's very essence will be revealed un unclothed, so to speak, without any, any, any garment, without any condition, for that reason, the, the one who is going to facilitate that, the one that brings that about, the chief neshama, the chief soul that actualizes that, is the one who in his neshama radiates Atik Yomim. Which means the ancient of days is that level. It's what's beyond all levels. And I quoted to you last week the verse in Daniel where it says how Mashiach is coming with the clouds of heaven. And until Atik Yomim he comes, he arrives. And from that place of Atik Yomim, Atik Yomim himself empowers him. That means that he's not being he's not plugging in to receive his vitality, energy, and spiritual inspiration and godly enlightenment from any channel, from any specific channel and individual channel, which is the case of all the other righteous individuals. Everybody was plugged into a channel. Abraham, Avram Avinu, the patriarch Avraham, greatest of the great, did not receive unfiltered God. He received Hashem as Hashem was channeling through the attribute of kindness. Isaac, Yitzchak, received Hashem's light through the filter of judgment. And therefore Isaac responded and served God with the highest level of fear and awe. Because if you're facing God as a disciplining being, you're shaking and trembling like a leaf. And that was Isaac's entire life. Abraham was exhilarated by God's immense love and kindness. And therefore, his love to God was just boundless. Jacob was, Yaakov was the facilitator of God's compassion and truth. And that's why he studied Torah, which is God's truth. So does Moshe facilitated God's wisdom. Chachma, that's why he brought us the Torah. But he's also channeling only through some kind of a, some kind of a, some kind of a design, some kind of a form, some kind of, 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 of a filter that, that it creates already some kind of a definition. To receive Hashem undefined, that's, that means reaching the inner level of the crown. Atik So in the holy writings of Kabbalah, it says that all the miracles and all the revelations throughout all of history, every even at the highest peaks of divine interaction, it was always coming from the lower levels. It was always from some level and he says, never, ever, ever was humanity and the world privy and given that an awesome opportunity to receive directly from Pneumius Atik from the innermost of the crown. But that's where Mashiach's Nisham is going to rise. And that's where he's going to elevate all of our consciousness into that place. So 
the Talmud tells us, let me give a couple of illustrations to this idea. Obviously, tapping into that place means a place of utter and endless and absolute possibility. That's the place of miracles beyond miracles. Because we understand that all systems of nature, beginning with the primary system of time and space, and all the sub-details that make up all the conditioning of the natural world, which is that there are certain rules and regulations and things work in certain systems and in certain ways, very complex systems that science, for instance, is exploring and trying to figure out the system of the universe and the system of life and the system of how things work, the patterns, the rules, the regulations. So we understand that the infrastructure, the wirings of how the cosmos are wired are all a derivative from the more spiritual wirings that are in higher realms of existence because there's a process of evolution where things evolve from higher worlds. So just like there is the physical map, which you'll speak to a scientist, if you want to get the spiritual map, you'll speak to a Kabbalist. And the Kabbalist knows the inner workings of the spiritual realms and the spiritual worlds above. That's the science of heaven. And based on, if you have a good understanding of the science of heaven, then you can really break the code of all of how things work down here. But it's, and sometimes you have some power of manip, of what we might call manipulation, even though you don't want to, not such a, maybe a negative word, but you can kind of like rearrange things because when you're, you know, when you know the system, you can, obviously you can't do anything. No one can do anything. God is in charge, but through certain services and certain methods, you can get God's um, energy to flow in different directions because Hashem allows it by right, certain righteous individuals who have access to the inner workings of things. And therefore, they can redirect. They can direct the flow from here, especially says it says God does the will of his, the righteous. The, the, those who served uh, were, uh, um, idols also, they, they misunderstood, but this was the same idea. They thought that they can get the angels to manipulate. So by serving the angels, that's what an idol meant. It wasn't the physical idol. So Maimonides explains. It wasn't the physical idol that they were trying to, you know, uh, obviously they understood that the statue was not much. I mean, there were the dumbbells, if you might say, <laughs> people that are absolutely foolish who, who believed that it was this statue that was the power. But those who had a little bit, the philosophers behind it, the thinkers, the pagan um, scholars, if you can say, uh, they they were pretty wise. They had great understanding, man. They had great mystical understanding. They understood the forces of the angels and so on and forth. The force. They believed that the angels have choice. And therefore, you can kind of befriend one of them. And uh, as a result of that, get him to like, you know, put you up there on the on the on, on the front burner. You know, when he's channeling, is an angel who's in charge over certain things. They thought that they're in charge. So in Torah, we know that angels have no, no authority. They are part of the channeling, but they channel based and are absolutely controlled by God himself. So even though he's sending the influence down through a various, various, many, many, many myriads and myriads of beings that are receiving and channeling and so on and so forth, but they have no free choice. And that's why it is absolutely forbidden to serve an angel, which means to serve an idol. But righteous people, tzaddikim, it says God does the will of the righteous. 
So the righteous people who, especially those who knew the inner workings of things, were able to get permission, not just permission, able to cause Hashem to direct things like this or like that, and as a result of that, cause changes within the world. However, that's still limited because it's still working somewhat from within the general control of the system. The real, real, real source of absolute miracles and miracles of miracles is when one can reach beyond the system, totally beyond the system. And to reach totally beyond the system means to reach that level called atikyona, is to reach God as God is prior to any, any formation into some kind of a systematic approach. And from there, anything can happen because the energy and the power is undefined. Undefined. So it's like one of the great sages who was very poor and he, 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 his, his daughter uh, was before Shabbos and they needed to light the candles and they didn't have any, um, they didn't have any, any oil. And she poured, she said, all we have is a little vinegar. So he says, pour the vinegar in. Now you try to light vinegar as fuel. Vinegar is not going to burn. Oil burns. But he said to her, the one who said that oil should burn should say that vinegar should burn. What does that mean? Because he was able to tap into the one that said. You see, once, the, once God uttered and created the system, that he gave oil the qualities of burning, of, of to serve as fuel. He didn't give it to vinegar. Vinegar has its own qualities. You can use vinegar to kill germs or whatever, alcohol, whatever, or many other things, but not as fuel. But because he was able to reach God on a level that is predetermined of the system, so he was able to say the one who said it should be so should, should say it should be so. No big deal. Most of us can't do that. Why can't we? Because we are... We, our connection to God is very, very much from within our nature. You know, to have access to such, to such, to have such a, 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 a loving connection to God, that God will do anything you want, means that the person has to be connected to God on a level beyond nature. So when God looks at a person, God can't believe that the person doesn't sleep, they don't eat, they don't, they don't, they're not, they're not living the natural life. And they're always transcending their own nature because of their love for Hashem. They go beyond, beyond, beyond themselves all the time. So because they are accessing and elevating themselves beyond nature, then they're tapping God also beyond the system. In other words, reaching God beyond God's name. The names are the source of the system. Within the names themselves, there is higher names that are, that are less limited. And then you can, but that's the general idea. But who is the one who is going to have the most, the, the greatest miraculous power? That's going to be Mashiach Tzedkin. Because when you are connected to the ancient of days, another meaning of the word atikyomen, it means ancient, it means always was. It also means removed. Atik means to be removed from somewhere it just means it's removed from the days. Days means time and space. Days means already a certain definitive projection. Removed from days means it's still uncolored. Like if I have clear water, here it's clear, 
But if I went and I took this water and I poured it into various different cups, and those glasses are green and red and so on and so forth. So once it's in the glass, it's already tainted. Especially if I pour paint, I like a little a dye into it. That's for sure changes it. But even if I'm, you know, you're observing it after it's poured into a certain into a certain container, then the container already gives its definition onto the water. But as long as the water is still clear, that's the point. So when it's still clear, it can technically, hypothetically, it can be green, it can be yellow, it can be orange, it can be red, it can be anything. Oops. And it can also spill. So that's the idea of, of transcendence. Transcendence, higher than this, higher than that. And that's the meaning of the word holy. Holy means removed. Removed. So the Talmud tells us an interesting thing. There's a Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin where it says that um, it talks about who's going to be the Messiah. Who's going to be Mashiach. So the Talmud is questioning regarding King David. David HaMelech. Um, there is a verse that says Vidavid Avdi Nasi Lahem Laola. That David, David, my servant, will be their king. So the Talmud says, you see from here, that King David is going to come back and be the Messiah, be Mashiach. Mashiach is going to be David himself. But then the Talmud says, well, I have a different verse. It says that they will serve their Hashem and they will serve the David, the David, that I will establish for them. So the Talmud says from here, it implies that it's not the old David, it's a new David. It's a new David. Because there's one, again, I don't have the Gemara in front of me right now, where the Gemara says, there's, there's, it seems, I might have had it over here. I think it might still be here from last week. I took it out to, to share it last week. No, maybe I'll put it back already. In any case, it says, as David, the, they're going to serve the David, Asher Akimlam, that I will establish for them. So the Talmud asks, which one is it? Is Mashiach the David of the past or Mashiach is the David of the future? So the Talmud answers, there will be both. King David will be resurrected, but he's going to be the sub-Mashiach. His great-great-great-grandson who's going to be the David of the future. Not necessarily he's going to name is going to be David, but he's going to be the David of the future. And what is going to be their relationship? The Gemara says it's going to be King Kaiser or Palgi Kaiser. The relationship is going to be this. One of them is going to be the Kaiser. And the other one is going to be the half a Kaiser. And so Rashi explains. That means one will be the king. And one will be the Mishnah Lamelech. Mishnah Lamelech is like the idea of a vice president. A second in command. Like Joseph was to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king and Joseph was the second. The manager of the affairs, but still the second in command. That's what the Gemara says. The Rebbe asks a very, very powerful question. He says, why in the world when we're talking about Mashiach, is the Gemara using a term for Mashiach that he's going to be a Kaiser? Kaiser means a king, but it's a Roman word. The Romans were the first ones who had Kaisers, which Kaiser is really Caesar. 
The Romans were not that nice to the Jews. Mashiach is coming to fix what the Romans destroyed. Mashiach is coming to undo the Roman influence. But 2,000 years of darkness the Romans brought to the world. Destroyed God's dwelling, chased God away from here, brutally murdered the Jewish people and the greatest scholars. The bloodshed of the Romans is unforgivable. It was like horrendous. Mashiach is coming to rebuild the third temple. He's coming to end the exile associated with Rome. So why are we continuing and calling Mashiach's kingship with a Roman term? We might think that because maybe this half a Kaiser element was a known thing in Rome, but in, 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 in Hebrew language, we don't have it. In Hebrew language, maybe we don't have this entity of a full king and a sub-king. But it's not true. Rashi himself says, Melech and Mishnah Melech. It says, Mishnah, uh, in the Megillus Esther, we say, Ki Mordechai HaYehudi. He says, Mordechai went out in a parade and he's Mishnah Melech. He was the second to the king. So Mishnah Melech is a Hebrew word. So if you're trying to figure out Mashiach, and King David and how they're going to rule together, why use the term Kaiser and Palgi Kaiser? It's a strange thing. Another thing is, when you think about Tosfos, who is one of the commentaries on the Talmud, say, I don't know if it says it over here in Sanhedrin, but the origins of the word Kaiser. Why were the Romans emperors called Kaiser? And the Tosfos says, because the initial their their one of their kings was born through a cesarean. And because he was born an abnormal birth through a cesarean, which a cesarean, right, is the cutting open. And that's why that's the meaning of the word Kaiser. That's what we call a cesarean, a the same word, Kaiser. So that makes it even more troublesome. It's like we're talking about a problematic birth a problem okay so he survived and he lives and so on and so forth and it's one of the uh baruch hashem one of the uh, methods in in medicine that have been already you know used to save so many so many uh, births and mothers and babies to be able to give birth birth in situations where otherwise god forbid so it's a nice thing but it still shows in some kind of a some kind of a problem and a, and a defect and so on and so forth. So number one, why are we calling Mashiach as a king? Why don't we call him by a Hebrew name? Secondly, the name that we're using is a type of king who's born through this abnormal process. That's the question. So the Rebbe gives a phenomenal answer. And the Rebbe says, take a look. He says, let's understand why was the Roman king really born with through a, through a C-section. Why was he born through a cesarean? Why wasn't he born in a regular way? So spiritually, obviously, the physical reflects the spiritual. When God creates the world, God creates, as we mentioned earlier, a certain system. And in the system, if things evolve from higher to lower. Things are born. It's cause and effect. The cause gives birth to the effect. And then the effect gives birth to the next level. And so things work. But even a million causes and effects would not create something evil. 
because God is not evil. So there is, and there isn't even one cell in God of evil, God forbid. So, and it's not even like a potential that after a billion, a billion births, you're going to kind of let this metamorphosize a gazillion times. Eventually it's going to, the evil will come out. That means that even in the source, there's a tiny bit of it because it's there as a potential. So the question is, how would something very, very dark and something vicious and evil, how does, God forbid, a wicked Caesar born that destroys the temple, fights God, destroys God's presence in this world, brings the entire world into darkness and into pain and suffering for thousands of years, and brut brutally murders God's children and causes unspeakable pain and suffering. How can that come about? For that reason, the Caesar was born through a C-section. What that means is that naturally, through the natural system of divine, godly cause and effect, it will never happen. It can go on and on and on and on, and such a monster would never be born. There has to be some kind of like kind of quantum leap. There has to be some kind of a complete disconnect. And that disconnect is, is expressed in the idea that the, born, the birth is an abnormal birth. The abnormal birth means it's not, it doesn't follow the system. And that's what enabled such evil to exist in this world. Caesar and the Roman the Roman, uh, whatever you would call them, the Roman Empire that, 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 that viciously brought such carnage and, and, and suffering. So that's the, a deeper understanding in the concept of why the Roman emperors, because else you'd wonder if one of them was born with a, through, a, through a cesarean, why would, they, why would that be so important to them to name their kings that way? Think about it. Why would they name their kings? Okay, named him that one. Maybe were all, they weren't all born through Caesarea. But why did they call them all that way? Because whether they understood it or they didn't, spiritually, you know, it's, the Talmud says, you know, people say things even though they don't understand the meaning. So on subconsciously, they understood that their existence is an abnormality in this world. It's a, so to speak, a miss misalignment in existence which obviously god planned that that should be but the actual coming about of it had to be through some kind of an accident so to speak something had to shatter and break and in this birth it was naturally he couldn't be born he had to go around circumvent the rules of nature in other words it's almost like a miracle needed to happen but a really bad that's the concept. The concept is not nature. Not nature means a miracle came about, but a very, very dark miracle. Usually we associate miracles for something wonderful and good. Here there's a super bad miracle that created the Caesar. How do you fix that? Who can fix and take such darkness, which was created through a miracle of darkness, an abnormality of darkness that can only be fixed by a human being who is abnormally good and abnormally holy.
For that reason, the birth of Mashiach himself is called also a birthing through a cesarean. For that reason, Mashiach is called Kaiser. But it's the opposite. The Caesar is born abnormally lower than everything. He falls below everything. And Mashiach is born and is elevated above everything, abnormally high. Reaches levels that is just impossible to reach. It's not like you can climb the ladder. You can climb the ladder to higher levels of consciousness, higher levels of connection. Mashiach is elevated by Hashem to absolute abnormal levels of holiness, of, of, of connection to God. And that's why the Rebbe says King David didn't have that. King David was a very, very great king and had tremendous and a very great divine investment in him, but it was still from within the system, and that's why King David's kingship was also working more within the realm of nature. He had to fight wars, he, he beat his enemies, but it was through natural force, through natural power. Obviously, he had unbelievable divine assistance, but he wasn't a spectacular miracle, miracle worker. Mashiach will dominate and control and rule over all of the world, and it will be an absolutely in a miraculous. that need to be put into place and we like almost sometimes feel like we have to give up on it it's true that we need to do as much as we can to make the world a better place naturally but we do have to remember that Mashiach is going to have incredible supernatural powers and his mere presence is going to shine such light and such holiness and such power that everybody even the most you know wicked of wicked are going to either submit to him or just Whatever, disappear off the planet. Mashiach's dominion is, 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 and that's what the verse is saying over here. The verse says in front of Atik Yom and God brings him and he gives him, again, I, I don't have the, 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 the verse in front of me. Hashem gives him power and all the nations of the world will be submissive to him, which is all indicative, which indicates that the reason he has this global power and this global um, um, dominion is because he's coming from Atik Yomen. And what's the idea? Because Atik Yomen is the power of absolute miracle. Nature is completely powerless against him. He is completely above nature in every single way. So we thought Moshe Rabbeinu could do miracles. Mashiach was way beyond that. Now, um, Mashiach will also reveal the Torah from this very, very transcendental place. In general, in my discussion last week, in our discussion last week, we spoke that the the even though you know the theme that we're talking about now is that there are divine projections, and then there is God's very self. God's very essence. Now, when we talk about projections, we can speak about levels upon levels upon levels upon levels. But when we want to generalize, it is generalized into four levels. 
corresponding to the four letters of God's name, corresponding to the four worlds, corresponding to everything that's four within, within existence. Four forms of life, inanimate, plant, um, animal, and human. Four elements, fire, wind, water, earth. Four worlds, the world of creation, the world of completion, which is the material, physical world. The world of formation, which is a world of more of Yetzirah, the world of angels. The world of uh, Berea, the world of creation, which is a world of souls, very sublime, a very high spiritual world. And then above that, the world of emanation, which is the world of Atzilut. And the, again, all this corresponds to the four letters of God's name. The He of Hashem's name is what dominates in the lowest world, which is the world of Asiya, also the source of the inanimate. Also within the four elements is the source of earth, which is the most lifeless of everything. Above that is the Vav of God's name, which dominates in the world of Yetzirah. That's why it's a world of intense emotion. God's emotion illuminate that world. And the creatures in that world are very, very, very emotionally triggered and it's a very intense emotional world. And it corresponds to plants. And it also corresponds to water, I think. And we go up one more level, we get to the world of Berea, which is, corresponds to which level of God's name, the He of Hashem's name, the upper He. And... Um, in, 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 in which corresponds to the animal, which is the realm of divine of, of godly intelligence and understanding. And in the um, elements, it's either fire or wind. I think most of the time it's explained fire. Higher than that is the yud of God's name which dominates and illuminates in the world of emanation, in the world of Atsilus. And in that world, and it corresponds to the human, and corresponds to spirit, Ruach. Okay, so you see how the, everything is lined up with these four. Now, these four letters of God's name also reflect the ten sefirot. So Malchut, kingship, is the lowest of the He of Hashem's name. The Vav of Hashem's name is, is uh, called the Zeir Anpin, the six emotions. Above that is Bina, the world of understanding. And higher than that is the uh, Chachma, which is higher than understanding. It's, it's, like, it's like vision, like the flash. It's bigger than comprehension and understanding. But yet, as we spoke last week, even Chachma, which is so sublime, it's still already the, the germinating of creation. It's still already a flash. It's, it, it's hinted to in the letter Yud, which Yud has somewhat of a shape. It's a dot, but it's already a something. You can speak of somethingness. We discussed last week that on top of the Yud, there's a little thorn that is pushing upward, telling you that there's something beyond me that has no shape at all. I don't even know what it is. It's utterly undefinable and we call it nothingness because it's it's infinite it's beyond that's the realm of keter and more specifically atikyoyman that's the fifth dimension 
It's not hinted to in God's name because it's beyond God's name. It's God's very self. So last week we discussed that in us, we also have these four le five levels. We have nefesh is our lowest element of soul. Above our nefesh is ruach, spirit. Above our ruach is neshama. Above our neshama is the level called chai, chayo. And above the chaya is the level called yechida, which is the essence of the soul itself, which corresponds to God's very essence. Last week I mentioned that, last week I mentioned to you that um, there are five individuals that personify these five levels of soul. King David David HaMelech is the collective nefesh. Elijah the prophet Eliyahu Anavi is the collective ruach. Um, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is the collective neshama. Uh, Adam Arishon is the collective chaya. And Moshiach is the one which is the level of Yechina. So you see this going higher. In Torah, because all divine revelation and all connection to God comes through Torah. As we know, the, 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 the Zohar says there are three things that bond. Israel, Israel, which are the, the soul of creation. And then there is God. And then there is Eraisa, there is the Torah. And the Jewish people, via the Torah, connect to God. And as a result of that, they funnel God down into the creation, into the world. So if everything is built on this system, that there is four, four layers. But the four layers make up the system. And the fifth level is what's beyond the system, is referring to Hashem's very self, which is where Mashiach touches. So we have to say that in Torah itself, the Torah too manifests itself through in four levels, which we know is true. Because we know that the methods of studying Torah, there are four primary methods of Torah study. Shat, Remez, Drush, and Sod. Translate that. Shat means simple, literal understanding. Remez means the world of Illusions, not illusions, uh, allu it, it's, it's hinting to symbols, symbolic, um, sometimes gematria related to the Ardu of Remez. Then there is Drush. I don't know how they, how they translate it in English, the realm of Drush, which is a higher way of studying and learning. Finally, there is Sod, which is the Kab Kabbalah. Those are the four levels of learning, and that's called pardes. And throughout all the Jewish history, the Jewish people studied the Torah on one of these four levels. The Kabbalists were studying the secrets. And then there were many rabbis who were very big darshanim, so they would give drusha, and they, would, they, they lived in the world of drush. And then there were many rabbis who lived in the world of remez. Everything to them was Ramazim. They found symbols like the Balaturim. He always is finding Gematria, this, and this is hinting to that. And he have three times this word and this is you can, like everything is everything is a, a sign. It's like a code. And then there were those who were very, 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 very 
always busy just with the pragmatic, down-to-earth interpretation of things. You know, what's the simple meaning in the simple world? Four ways of study. And of course, it's nuanced. There's a million different ways of understanding in the literal. And there are many different ways of understanding in each one of them. But they are, in general, they're divided into four different, corresponding to the four letters of God's name, corresponding to the four worlds, corresponding to Malchut, Malchus, Ze'eranpin, Bina, and Chachma. Everything lines up. Domain Sameachai, Medaber, Eishmayim, Ruach, and Afar. All these things relate. And in the Torah, Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sot. And that's the way to learn Torah. comes the Lubavitcher Rebbe and he, and he reveals to us an amazing thing. He has an incredible talk which everybody should study. It. It's called Inyana Yishal Torah Sachasidus. It's a publication. I don't know. Uh, um, maybe it's called On the Essence of Chasidus or something like that. Inyana Yishal Torah which means the content, the idea, the meaning of the teachings of Chasidus and over the year, the Rebbe explains that Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Said, that's all related to the letter to God's name. But how about God's essence? Is there any Torah that conveys and reveals God's essence? So the Rebbe says, Yeah, that's the main, that's the main job of Mashiach. And that's why Mashiach will open up Torah. One of the main ideas of Mashiach is that he will be a Torah. Besides, earlier we spoke of his dominion, his power, his kingship. But he will also be the highest scholar and the greatest teacher. And he will teach Torah in ways. He will bring humanity to the highest levels of understanding. And he will bring Torah scholarship to not just reveal, expound and reveal more Torah, but open up a whole new level of, of Torah comprehension and understanding. One that is not relating to one of God's names, but one that is relating to Hashem's very, very being, Hashem's very essence. So that's why we know that when Mashiach will come, there's a verse that says, new Torah will come forth from me, God says. And the Midrash tells us, God is going to darshan. God is going to reveal a new Torah. Which he's going to reveal to us through Melech HaMashiach. Through Mashiach. The Medrash. Based on the apostle. New Torah will come forth. And it is explained it's not new Torah. Because the Torah was only given to us once. And we know the Torah will never be changed. It means a level of appreciation and understanding that will open up in Torah that was never available for anybody. And that's going to be Mashiach's Torah. So much so that when we are going to study that Torah, it's going to look like every single thing we studied until that time is considered utterly amateur and childish. That's how magnificent the new study of Torah is going to be. It's a midrash. The midrash says, The Torah that a person reads and studies in this world heavily is considered almost like foolishness. 
in front of the Torah of Mashiach. With all the brilliance that there is in Torah, it will be considered very, 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 very insignificant compared to the incredible Torah that we're going to be learning under the tutelage and under the teachings of Mashiach. But here is the awesome thing. The Rebbe says that that awesome Torah that is going to be revealed when Mashiach comes has already started to drip into us 300 years ago. The Rebbe says the teachings of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, that is the beginning of the Torah of Mashiach. And therefore it is coming not from one of the four letters of God's name, it is revealing God's very self. And because it, it comes from God's very self, in other words, it's drip, drip, drip coming from Atik Yomen, from the ancient of days. Like it says, that's where resurrection is going to come from. Tala denotif ma'atik yomen. Do that drips from Atik Yomen is going to resurrect the dead. So spiritually, what has resurrected the Jewish people? What resurrects a Jew? You take a Jew and you give him a little IV of Hasidus, you ignite his soul. Even a soul that has been already extinguished for many years. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, sometimes generational gap and disconnect. You bring a Jew in, you start, you learn, especially if you expose the Jew, the teachings of Hasidus from a very, very deep place, they come alive. It speaks to the person on a whole different level. You know why? It doesn't speak to your intelligence. It doesn't speak to your desire or your intelligence or your emotions or your action-based. Halacha speaks to the action-based in you because it tells you what to do. Different parts of Torah evoke, speak, stimulate you. Some, some elements of Torah stimulate you emotionally. Some elements of Torah stimulate a person intellectually, engage you intellectually. This Torah doesn't reach you, or, or, or it, it does, but it's not limited to that. It, it permeates much, much deeper. It tugs at the very, very eye of the person, at your very essence, because it's coming from the very essence of God. So the Rebbe says an amazing thing. He says, Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sai, the four letters of God's name. Chasidus is infinitely higher than Kabbalah. Much higher than people think, and this is a total misconception. You know, if you go outside and you say you're going to learn Kabbalah, everybody wants to come study because Kabbalah is cool. It is, it is very cool. It's the maps of the heavens, it's the maps of the system, but it's the system. Where do you experience God Himself? Only in Hasidus. And therefore, the truth is, Hasidus is not Kabbalah. Hasidus uses Kabbalah. The Baal Shem Tov was a great Kabbalist, yeah. Rav Shneur Zalman of Liadi was an awesome Kabbalist. The Rebbe was an incredible Kabbalist. That means he knew Kabbalah too. They use Kabbalah to explain and to transmit Hasidus. Hasidus actually uses all four elements of Torah to express itself. So for instance, Hasidus will use Halacha. Sometimes it will take a halach and it will give you the halachas and then say, now, once you understand halacha, let's probe deeper and understand the soul of this halach. 
And then from knowing the halacha, you get to understand something godly of what this mitzvah is all about on a very godly level. So what did it use? It used, like the Rebbe, if anybody that learns Lakute Sichas, for instance, you learn the Rebbe's writings, you see, the Rebbe takes a Rashi, he back and forth examines it from all, here's the Rashi apart with a thought, with, 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 you know, with maybe sometimes 10, 15 questions. Completely, completely disassembles the whole thing. Reconstructs the Rashi on a whole different level. Now you understand it. And when he's done, he says, now, hold it. Now when you're seeing Rashi in this light, now you can understand a very deep Hasidic insight. And suddenly, bang, he opens it up at a Hasidic inner core and suddenly, whoa, which you would never really have a, a real appreciation for unless you first understood how he composed the Rashi, set it up, and then you understand the inner soul of it. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that Hasidus is the Pshat, is the Rashi. Hasidus is something abstract that is unconveyable and unknowable. It's the essence of God coming through, through the essential souls that can communicate the essence of God, which we'll soon speak about. It's using halacha to, as a format to express itself. In the same way, sometimes it uses gematria. Hasidus is not gematria. Numeric codes, it uses them. Through the numeric codes, when we see certain things are gematria the same, then we realize that they have an inner core connection. Then sometimes Hasidus will use Kabbalah as well to explain itself. Many times. You know, many times when we learn a discourse, a Hasidic discourse, we start with a Kabbalistic writing from the Holy Ari, which is explaining some kind of inner mechanics of the spiritual realms above. And from there, that serves as a chump, as as a as a like a a a a, a uh, starting point, and a, and a jump board, so to speak, or whatever you call it, to to um, to 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 open up a, a a higher consciousness and a higher understanding in the divine. So the Rebbe gives, for instance, a very very interesting illustration to illustrate this, um, and he speaks about. For instance, the concept of Modani. Modani. He says, the Rebbe says, if you take any element of Torah and you examine all four layers, you see, what does the Pshat say? The simple level, literal translation. What does the um, 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 Reme say? What does Drush say? And what does Sod say? You go through every single interpretation. You will see that they're all relating to certain aspects, certain defined elements from within the system. And he gives an example. He says, let's take one subject and learn it from all four analysts. And then the Rebbe says, let's take a look at what Hasidus says. And you will see, he says, that Hasidus is the neshama, it's the vitality, it's the essence of all four interpretations. It's deeper, it's higher, it's removed from all of them, and yet it gives life to every single one of them. Because once you have the Hasidus inside, they're all pulsating with this inner essence of the divine. Now, I'm not going to do that in this class to go, and he says, in order to show you an illustration, let's start off with the beginning of the day. What's the first thing a person does in the morning? You wash, your, you, you say Moda'ani. First thing you wake up, you say Moda'ani, thank you, God. I acknowledge God for you returning my soul. 
And we're supposed to do that as soon as we wake up, even before we wash our hands. We know as a Jew, you're supposed to wash your hands in the morning immediately. You're supposed to touch any part of your body. You're not supposed to go out of your bed, really. You're supposed to have a pail of water next to your bed. Wash your hands three times. Called negavans because there's a certain impurity that's on the hands. And we're supposed to do it. But there's one exception. Modani, even before that. The minute you wake up and you're just, you're not even like no one's flying. Modani, instantly. So he, he says, he, he goes through the interpretation of the Moda'ani on, on each level, which I'm not going to do right now, simply because I don't remember. <laughs> and it's also late. It's I just remember it's phenomenal. But I will show you, for instance, just a simple meaning of the Moda'ani, and then we'll see the Hasidus of it, and then you, you'll, you'll, you'll get what we're saying. You'll see how... how one is a garment, how the simple meaning of the Modani is simply a garment for the divinity, the pure godliness of, that Hasidus reveals. So the question over here is, how can you say a prayer when you're not clean? That's the question. A prayer requires cleansliness to be clean. In, we know I would just hike before. And it was getting sunset, and I had to and I had to rush down the mountain, and it was getting I had to dive a mincha. Thank God my water bottle still had water, and I was able to wash my hands when we got back to the bottom, and I was able to pray mincha. You're not supposed to pray until you wash your hands, because you need to be clean, especially when you wake up when you're sleeping at night, because when you're sleeping, because you're not conscious, your hand is, you know, you can't wash your hands. So for sure, it is not considered in a clean state. So in order to remove the impurity, we wash our hands in the morning. We're now going to say a blessing. Actually, it's forbidden to say a blessing until you wash your hands. So the question is, how can we say modani? So the halacha answer is, because modani does not have any names of God in it. Because when you're saying modani, it doesn't mention one name of God. It says modani lefanecha, I acknowledge or I'm thanking lefanecha in front of you. Melechai v'kayo, the living and Eternal king, I am thanking you. You gave me back my soul. With compassion. Great is your trust. I have no problem, God. I go to sleep every night and I'm not worried that I won't wake up in the morning because I trust you that you will return my soul. So if every day we thank God in the morning. But we're not saying the name Elohim, saying a regular bracha, we say Baruch Hashem. Later, when we thank God for shoes, we say, You've made all my needs, which means shoes. We thank God for clothing. We say, Thank you, God, Hashem, whatever king of the world, you dressed uh, naked. So for every everything, we say God's name. Modani, we're not saying God's name. So they intentionally took out God's name from Modani. This is what the, so that we can say it immediately. So because Modani doesn't have God's name, that's why anybody can say it, even when you're still defiled. And, and later you'll wash your hands, you'll get dressed, and you'll repeat a second time a blessing for God giving you back your soul. Then you'll say God's name already. Like we say it, Elokai Nishama, Shenasata Bi. We say it further in the blessings, of the morning blessings. God, I'm thanking you for the Nishama. And there we say God's name. 
Baruch Atah Hashem, HaMachzir Nishamais, you return souls, Lepkar and Mason, to dead corpse. So we say God's name. So according to the simple meaning, if you stop here a moment, the Modani is hardly a blessing. It's a very, very, very inferior blessing. It's lacking God's name. But we want to give an opportunity to people, and you are in a very inferior state because you're still very unclean. And because you're still in your PJs and you're not, you're not really in a respectful state to speak to God. But we want to give you an opportunity immediately to thank God because this is important to show God immediately thank you, for, especially since he gave you life. So you should say, so there's a, you know, uh, uh, uh. you're not the way you should be. The blessing is not there should be. It's full of contamination all around, but thank God you're not saying God's name so you can get away with it. That's the way it says in Allah. Now, all the other interpretations in the Modani that he goes through are all wonderful, but nothing could compare to what the Baal Shem Tov teaches. Not the Baal Shem Tov, but the, the teachings of Hasidus, which are the teachings of Mashiach, which, which blow the whole thing and turn the whole thing upside down. The Hasidic teaching of why the Modani can be said with impurity is simple. Because it's the essence is so simple. It says like this. It says, you see, when a person gets contaminated, who in you can get contaminated? What can get soiled? What can get dirty? Various different components of your soul that interact with the body and with the world can get a little filthy, a little dusty, a little dirty, a little contaminated. But the very, 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 very most sacred space in you, which is your core, 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 core essence of your being, that place is always unified and one with God. And it's not possible in it in any way, shape, or form to experience any type of disconnect, even the slightest disconnect, because it's not connected via anything. It is just one with God. And just like God is not soiled, or God is not contaminated, your essence of your soul that is one with the essence of God is uncontaminatable. And here is the amazing thing. When you wake up in the morning, it's the first second you wake up. None of your powers of your soul are active. You know why the powers of your soul are not active? Because you're just waking up. It takes a few seconds for them to fire up. Just like when you open up a computer. The power is on. The computer is on. You have to give it two, three, two, three minutes for it to start, you know, for Windows to open, for, for, for Microsoft or Office to work, for, uh, you know, or if you open your phone, you see, it takes a few seconds. You know, the first thing that always pops up is WhatsApp. If you land on the plane, you know, everybody opens up, everybody's like, as if you're going to die if you don't open. I would like to like do that, like land. I'm actually flying tomorrow. From the next hour, I'm not opening the phone. What? I don't have to be a slave to it. It's like, it's amazing. Everybody, before you even like, and then you're waiting. It's like, it takes like three seconds to watch. WhatsApp always pops up first. It gets the connection and you start to eat. All the, all, all the messages come in and then the messages come up and then this kicks in and that cuts in. Wi-Fi takes a few seconds to connect if you don't have Wi-Fi on the plane. So all these things kind of take a few moments for it to process. But the one thing that, that is right away there is the phone is on. 
phone is on, but there's no details of, in it working. So if we can use that analogy for ourselves, the moment you wake up in the morning, nothing in you is yet in place. None of your spiritual powers are activated yet. Your intellect is still croggy. It's still, your mind isn't there yet. Your emotions, even if you're a very, very, very spiritual person, your emotions are not yet in a state of operation because you're just waking up. You're still in a state of confusion. So every aspect of your soul, the properties of your soul, of your spiritual being are not working. But who is awake? You woke up. You, not your properties. You. And the you, that's you are one with Hashem. And that part, your properties become defiled. Your expressions become defiled. The essence is not defiled. So your essence could say modani. And modani is coming. Your essence is, is speaking. And here's the amazing thing. Why is there no name of God in modani? Because your essence doesn't speak to any of God's names. Your essence speaks to God himself. The reason there is no name in, 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 of God in Modani is because Modani is not directed to any of God's manifestations, any of his attributes. Modani is your essence to God's essence. Your Yechida speaking to Atik Yomen, speaking to the ancient of days, beyond and you saying, Lifanecha in front of you. You who you really are. I'm not, afterwards, you start processing, you start getting limited, and you start entering into all the systems. And all that starts happening once the intellectual mind starts kicking in and all the filters, the filtered elements in your relationship, which is necessary. It's all part of what makes things colorful. But it's the simplicity of that first wakeful moment that is so simple. It's in the simplicity of that moment in which you know nothing. It's just you know you're alive and thank you, God. That's all. You say, thank you, God, I'm alive. It's essence to essence. So Hasidus says this is, this. It, so it's not lower, it's not an inferior prayer. It's actually your highest prayer of your day. The rest of the day, you wish you can have such simplicity. You lost the simplicity because you're already you're already thinking through all kinds of you know of your own you know imaginations of what God is. But in the morning, when you don't have anything going on, it's just simple. It's like a little child that says when a little child says God, a little you know a, you know says Hashem. It's simple. It, they, the child doesn't know anything. They know only Hashem Himself. They don't know any definitions. And that's the purity of the first second in the morning. It's the purity of simplicity. And the simplicity connects to the essence of God. So what do you see over here? That the, that the, the Hasidic interpretation reveals essence. Hashem himself. Until the Baal no one spoke that language. It didn't occur to anybody. In the world up to the Holy Baal in the world up to Hasidism, Judaism celebrated scholars. Scholars were like the highest, sophisticated scholar, knew a lot of Torah, rabbi, scholars. Who did the Balshemtov, the Hasidic movement, came and who did they cherish? What did they celebrate? What did the Hasidic masters like hold as holy of holy? A simple grandma who doesn't know anything, but she opens up her Tehillim and she says, today is Mother's Day, we have to honor her grandma, our mothers. And when she, because she doesn't know, because she's so simple, in the simplicity of her, of her 
you know, the Balshemtev would run around everywhere, run around. He would go from place to place to villagers, and he would ask them how they're doing. And he loved to hear when they answered in Yiddish, meaning not even using the holy tongue, just in their mother language. They would say, ah, danke Gott, thank the And the Balshemtev was like, whoa. And he revealed and he taught his disciples that that there's nothing that can, nothing compares to the simplicity of the simple people and their connection to God. Because, and the Balshemtev said, because in the simple, in the simplicity of the simple person is revealed the simplicity of God's essence. It's a whole new language. It's a whole new teaching. It's a whole new world. So we understand above all intelligence, above all sophistication. What, what, where do you get to after everything? You get the simplicity. It's the simplicity of the essence. So we have already, we have already the beginning of Mashiach's teachings. When Mashiach will come, he will open up the world of Hasidism so much deeper, so much more powerful. And we will experience things on that level. Unlike In every part of Torah, we're going to see the essence. The truth is, if those who study Hasidus, you realize, if you really analyze it well, you see that every Hasidic teaching always cracks open the essence. That's why it's so refreshing. That's why it's so life-giving. Kabbalists are lost in the worlds, in the worlds, in the spiritual worlds, in the emanations, in the, in the systems. Philosophers are lost in the intelligence of things, and that's already creation. And the science of things. But Hasidus touches the essence. So I'm going to conclude with one last idea that relates to all of this. Well, since we're talking about the Baal Shem Tov, and his connection to Mashiach. And that's why Mashiach said to the Holy Baal Shem Tov, as we all know that the great and holy Reb Israel Baal Shem Tov went up to the, into the chamber of the Mashiach. And he asked Mashiach, when are you coming? And Mashiach said, when your wellsprings will spread across the world. Because that is Mashiach. The teachings of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, as it was later elucidated and revealed through the various different students of the Baal Shem Tov. But there is, which leads us to, the, to, to this amazing last point. It's not only the teachers, it's not only the teachings of Hasidus, but it's also the masters of Hasidus. The Hasidic Rebbe. What is that? What is the idea of a Hasidic Rebbe? People are very, very, very interested in this whole concept. What is Rebbe? I am a Hasid, and hundreds and thousands of Jews are Hasidim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. There are other phenomenal tzaddikim, great Hasidic Rebbe's. What is the notion of a Hasidic Rebbe? And how is the Hasidic Rebbe different than everything the Jewish people have known before? So, in general, going back, remember I opened the class today, spoke about the Kohen and the high Kohen and so on and so forth. When we speak about leadership amongst the Jewish people, we can find 
that there are different types of positions of leadership. For instance, there's always the rabbi. The rabbi was always the scholar, the teacher. But then there were also the priests. They mentioned, thank God, I'm a, I have that honor to be a priest. But again, today's days, we don't make such a big deal about the priests other than giving them the first calling by the Torah and, you know, things like that. And they blessed the Jewish people. But the priest was a very, very, the Kohen was a, a very serious spiritual human being who had a unique spiritual power. And in a sense, had positions of leadership. Then there were prophets. And there were kings. And there were kings. Now we understand that these different forms of leadership are not just manifesting in a different way. Their energies are different. Their spiritual quality is different. So let's connect it to the four letters of God's name again. The rabbi... And the great, let's say, say, talk about the Tanoim, the Amaroyim, these are the sages of the Mishnah, the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, the this, the that, all these various different positions of scholar, leaders, authoritative figures in Judaism because of their Torah knowledge. These are people whose quality that gives them their authority is that they are channels of divine wisdom of the divine intelligence. What makes them superior to the rest of the people and therefore gives them leadership and people listen to them is their convey Torah. If they can convey Torah, they're conveying God's mind. And God's mind is very serious. It's a very big deal. And then there are people, that's so Kohanim, priests, they're plugged into God's channel of love and of kindness. That's why they can give a blessing. It's always a good idea to go get a blessing from a Kohen. Because a Kohen has, doesn't make a difference, you know, if the Kohen is on a very high, the mere fact that a Kohen gives a blessing, it is powerful. I saw just on Shabbos, I wasn't looking for this, I opened up one of the letters of the previous Chabad Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak. And he says, my son-in-law, which he's referring to the Rebbe, Gave me over in your name, he's writing a letter to a Kohen, that you are gave me a blessing for my health. And I can't tell you how happy I am that I received the blessing from you as a Kohen for my health. Because it is so special, because that you care about me and you have a, like this. And Kohanim have such incredible power. He goes on to tell him how Kohanim have a Kohen, a power to bless and to, it's an energy. It's, it's born. You're born. If you're born with a Kohen's DNA, you got that spiritual quality. You, and a person should cherish it. Especially when the Kohen stood in the temple. He was an actual funnel and a channel and a conduit for God's kindness and love. Which the rabbi couldn't do. The rabbi could not give that kind of a blessing like the Kohen. It doesn't have the same potency. The Kohen can give the blessing. In that sense, the rabbi needs the Kohen. I once told you the story that Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the great Hasidic Rebbe, went, asked the Kohen for a blessing when he was taken to jail, he was taken to prison. He needed a blessing of a Kohen. He's the great rabbi. That's the Kohen. Special the Kohen. And that's because, again, this Kohen soul is wired in God's kindness. Where is the prophet's soul wired in? Prophet is wired in a complete different channel. 
it's in, in Kabbalah it says that the attribute of Netzach and Hod, Netzach means uh, perseverance, Hod is uh, glory. These are the channels from where prophecy emanates. What's a prophet? A prophet who is the one who can predict the future. He's not predicting. He's getting the information from God. And it's coming through these modes, Netzach and Hod, because that's where God is operating the future. That's where he's actually conducting the affairs of the world, through these two um, Netzach and Hod are the, where, where, where world events are taking place, are happening. So since he plugs into Netzach and Hod, he can tell you the future. And it's a unique quality that certain people have, that they have that, I mean, obviously we're at the work on it, refinement, but if God plugged them in, they were plugged into it. Samuel the prophet, Shmuel Anavi, uh, Yeshayo Anavi, Yerio Anavi, Elisha the great Navi, Elio Anavi, all, all these prophets. And then you had a king. And what did the king do? The king had an enormous amount of dominance, constructive building power, and so on and so forth. Because the king manifested and actualized and channeled God's sovereignty. So the king had a projection of God's sovereignty coming through him. And he helped people come to a place within themselves where they can be help themselves submit themselves to God's authority. It's not always easy. We have evil inclination, tries to fight that authority. Sometimes feel that we can do whatever we want and get away with it. So when you had a Jewish king, you felt in a very deep way that God is your king and you're a subject. The king helped you feel submission to Hashem. Through the king's soul, he, he emanated some kind of a godly, sovereign Wi-Fi, which we were able to feel and feel surrendered to God, which we're lacking when we don't have a Jewish king. So what do we see from here? Each of these different leaders are plugged into another one of the four letters of God's name. Different attributes, different powers, different energies. What's a Hasidic master? What's a Rebbe? I'll tell you something amazing about a Rebbe. A Rebbe teaches Torah. From the very beginning time of Hasidism, Hasidic Rebbe's taught Torah. Many of them taught mysticism, and many of them taught even the revealed elements of the Torah. Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liyadi gave us a Tanya and many, many mystical writings, but he also wrote a Shulchan Aruch, a code of Jewish law. Tzemach Tzedek, his grandson, was a great, has a lot of response of, a lachic response and discussion, and so forth. The Gera Rebbe, Sfasemis, this, that. There's tons of Hasidic Rebbe's who were great scholars, but even without that, they taught Torah mysticism and so on and so forth. But they were also, people went to them for blessings. You had a problem. You went to a Rebbe. That's, everybody knows the story of people running to the Rebbe for a blessing. People went to the Rebbe to help them know the future. When they needed advice, not knowing what to do, they would come to the Rebbe. And they, they, and they received guidance from the Rebbe and they always saw it as prophecy. Even though prophecy wasn't here for thousands, for, for, for close to 2,000 years, when the Hasidic movement reappeared and they came back to Hasidic Rebbe, the Hasidim always looked at their Rebbe that they had prophetic powers. Finally, the Hasidic Rebbe was like, was like a king. Like a king. The Hasidim were totally submissive to him. The Rebbe said, instantly everybody listened. You know, you had to listen because he had 
a power of a monarch of a king. So how does one person have all? And all of history, it wasn't that way. It was either this or that. Or that. Here you have like a, 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 a Kung, what do you call it? A Kung, conglomerate, whatever, what's the word? Whatever. It's a whole mix of everything. The answer is, <laughs> just like Hasidism is emanating not from any of the divine powers, but Hasidism is the beginning of the Messianic age when God himself is going to descend into this world. And the teachings of the Hasidus is the teachings of Atik Yomen, of God's very self, not of any of the divine attributes. So too the Hasidic Rebbe is not somebody who's channeled, who, who, who's plugged into any one of the divine attributes. The Hasidic Rebbe is the channel and the funnel to God's very self who's coming through him. And because it's God's very self, automatically you have all the attributes because the attributes are plugged into the essence. From the Baal Shem Tev and onward, we have people, these great holy people, that they were just pure. They were utterly surrendered to God himself and they were funnels to God's very self. And as a result of that, they have all these other elements to them. It's the beginning of the personality of Mashiach. Amazing. The Hasidic Rebbe is the beginning of, 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 of the concept of Mashiach. Mashiach is Atik Yomen revealed in this world. And that's why when you try to try to figure out what is a Rebbe, it's one of the questions no one can answer. Because it doesn't have definitions. Beyond definitions. He can do this, he can do that. He does this, he does that, he did that. But you could you put your finger on it, you can't put your finger on it. He's, because he's touching on transcendence. He's reaching on something that is undefinable. And that's why his teachings are teachings of essence. And that's why it's the preparation for the Giyola. It's the preparation for Mashiach. And it's the beginning of Mashiach. So Hasidim really started already Mashiach a long time ago. The revelation of Mashiach is just when the whole world becomes Hasidim. That's really what it is. What is Mashiach? Mashiach is the whole world will be Hasidic. That's what it is. All Jews will become Hasidim. And non-Jews will also become Hasidic non-Jews. But Hasidism will become the entire world. The teachings of, and the Rebbe, everybody will have one Rebbe. And that Rebbe is Mashiach. It's very simple. Boils down. So it makes it less complicated. People ask, Rebbe Mashiach, not. Now we, now we understand. Of course. What else is it? This is it. It's, the, it's this. I don't have to say anything else. I rest my case. Um, okay, there's more to talk, but at least I, was, I knew I had a lot that I wanted to unpack last week and I didn't get to, so we continued and somehow we were able to connect it to this week's Parsha too. So that's good. Main thing is let Mashiach be revealed. On our exercises is to try to connect deep inside ourselves to our essence and live from that essential I'm going to conclude with one. I'm sorry. I just want to, because I can't say this next class, it's going to be so much more meaningful now. I'm going to conclude it with right now. 
Why is Mashiach called Mashiach? What is the what is Mashiach? What is the meaning of the word Mashiach, the Messiah? What does it mean? Mashiach means he is anointed. The anointed one. How do you become anointed? Anointed is anointed with oil. You take oil, and we know that King David was anointed with oil. Saul was anointed. Mashiach will be anointed with oil. The special oil that Moses made, that Moshe made. Why the anointment of oil? And why, even though many kings in the past, David was anointed with oil, but David is not called Mashiach. Only Mashiach is going to be the one who we refer to him, the main name that he has. I mean, we can call him so many different things, but the main name that we call him is the anointed one. Why? Because the anointment actually expresses this whole idea. Oil is an interesting phenomenon. Oil is something that whatever you mix it into remains separated. Oil doesn't mix with anything. Take oil, put it into any single substance, the oil will always flow to the top. Water, whatever, wine, oil always separate. Because oil is coming from that which is Atik Yomen. You know where oil comes from? It, its spiritual source is from Atik Yomen, ancient of days. Just like ancient of days is removed from everything, it's separated from everything. But oil has an has has another quality besides it being separated from everything. If you if you break things down, if you squeeze anything, if you you'll find oil in everything. Oil is at the essence of everything, yet nothing yet it remains separate from everything. You can get oil out of olives for sure. You can get oil out of cotton seed. You get oil out of vegetable oil. You have corn oil. You have Oil in the earth, and 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 there is there is an oil residue to everything, because that's the quality of essence. The essence is on the one hand removed from everything, yet it is the essence of everything. <laughs> See, because the essence of God is removed from everything, yet it is the essence of everything, because everything has to come from the essence of God. Mashiach is that level. No one can know him, yet he's in everybody and influences everything and everybody all the time. In a way that we that he just he opens up and inside of us our essence. So close and so far at the same time. So reachable and so untouchable at the same time. That's why when it comes to oils, well, when people buy they have essential oils. Right? See, oil, oil is. Is, is, is referred to as essence, essential oils. So when we want to capture this, we want to explain what is the, what is the, what is Mashiach? Mashiach is where the essence of God is revealed in his soul. And he reveals to us and opens up our souls for the revelation of the essence of God. And that's why we call him the anointed one, because that's what oil is. The revelation of, or the, the substance that God gave us in this world that reflects or represents this, or is derived from this essence. And this is ultimate holiness. Okay.
merit to see all of this and experience all of this now. Chaim.